Hello. This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, coming for you from the frozen, well, South of England bits. Um, if you're American, don't bother to tell us. We know. We, we're wimps. We, 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 we shiver. We don't, we don't even have chains. How do you put chains on your cars? Uh, you put them on the road and then, then you back the car gently over them. Oh, right. I learned something. Anyway, this month we are going to talk about... What are we talking about this month? Ah, uh, single protagonist stories. Do do they work in role-playing games, and how can they be bashed about a bit so that they do? And uh, wrapping up, coming to the end of the campaign, the big climax or small climaxes, or what? And the revised edition. If you're reviving a game from back in the day, which a lot of people seem to be doing these days, how do you go about it? So let us go on to the first of those topics. I've been thinking about recently, particularly because of some television shows that are explicit about having a five-man band in the yeah. TV trope sense. Most conventional stories that we might steal for games, particularly books and films, uh -huh. have a single hero, maybe two. And role-playing games need more. Yeah, for historical reasons. Blaming it jointly on uh, Arnson and Tolkien. Yeah, um, it, if you were starting a completely new group, then fair enough. But if you have an ongoing group, it it, well, it, it would it would be impolite to say to half of them go away. <laughs> if in the extreme case, it would be extremely impolite to say to all but one of them go away. Yeah. Okay, go on. What well, one classic way of doing this yeah. comes from the nineteen thirties and Doc Savage. Yeah. Now, Doc, Doc Savage can do everything, he but can. pretty much by definition. Ex except have any sort of empathy with women. Well, yeah, obviously women are strange. Go on. Um, but just reading about Doc Savage would be boring. So what uh, Lester Dent did yeah. was effectively split his omnicompetence in, into a bunch of different people who collectively might be just about as good as him at everything. But while Doc Savage is off, off doing thing A, yeah. the other guys, all of them or just some of them, can be doing things B to Z. Okay, except it doesn't work out that way in the stories that much. Well, sometimes. I mean, the readers came to read about Doc Savage. Yeah. And you've got a lot of Monk and Ham because they're a comedy duo. Yeah, a, a lot of the time you don't actually see them using their skills, but that's because I think because of the nature of the stories. Mm. Um, Monk, Monk is supposedly you know, a genius engineer, I seem to recall. Well, chemist or something. Chemist, thank you. Um, and sometimes that comes up, but not very often, and Ham, Ham is a genius lawyer, and that comes up even less often. Yeah, and the others, well, the others who don't have the, 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 the comedy routine going for them, uh, Long Tom and uh, the others who I forget. Rennie and somebody else. Oh, somebody else don't get to do that much <laughs> either. Mind yeah, they, 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 they drop out of the later books entirely yeah. sometimes. All right. But, but lo looking at the earlier ones, because, mm. yeah, it, it's not a perfect model. Um, if, if you take that approach, then, then you have differentiation, you have niche protection. You don't even need, ultimately, the Doc Savage figure to be there. Well, I mean, yeah, I was thinking about this. I'm, I'm taking an even more extreme example, which is Sherlock Holmes. Mm. Um, there is 
very little fun for a role game. Well, there's some fun but very little fun for a role game to get out of being Dr. Watson and saying, Holmes, you astound me, every third se se sentence. Now, Watson has been built up in, in recent versions of the game, and we get to see some of his daring-do qualities and some and his good personal qualities, which contrast with the with the le less empathic Holmes. Yeah. But nonetheless, you don't want to be Dr. Watson the whole time. I did hear of one game years ago that did something... In along these lines to make it a bit more interesting. The basic idea was, I think, I think this might even have been the class, character class for D&D, &D. it was that long yeah. ago. Somebody could play Don Quixote, or um, the, the, the heroic knight, at least in his own mind, and given this is D&D &D probably in, in reality as well, but somebody else could play the Sancho Panza. Ah, oh, Sancho Panza is fun. Who would leech experience points off the person he'd attached himself to, but by, by feeding his delusions. It's a it's a nice it's a nice thought. I did, and I, I can see something like that working for a Watson. I did I did create a character who was a uh, companion to heroes. He had been cursed to be a companion to heroes, and had to go around and find a hero uh, regularly because they keep getting themselves killed. And he <laughs> he's the one who he was the Jeeves figure. But we're not getting any closer to um, taking these these universes and making them a playground for. Let us say our optimum f uh, of four to six people, plus a GM. Well, the the thing that I like to do is say, you know, collectively you are the equivalent of mm. the protagonist. Well, actually, but yeah, go on. Then I I start playing with and, and particularly splitting the party, which is a classic thing not to do. But there are situations where you can't just have all of you going and doing something. I and mean, in, interviewing a witness who is nervous. Yeah. which happens a lot in, in my adventures. I run a lot, a lot of investigative games. One person, two people, that's fine. You have six of you come into somebody's front room and say, um, now, now tell us about that thing you saw. Yeah. They're, they're going to get nervous. They're going to get intimidated. Well, the trick with that is to is to run scenes simultaneously, run bits of the in, uh, investigation simultaneously and cut rigorously between... Yeah. You, you split them up and then you cut rigorously between them at appropriate cinematic moments. Particularly in the, if, if such moments show up. Well, the, the other thing is that yeah. having a series of challenges. Mm. I mean, for example, in that situation, you, you might need to have some sort of in with the police to be able to talk to the guy in the first place, yeah. and not all of you have that. Yeah. Or, um, say, you're sneaking into somewhere that, that you're not supposed to be, mm. and you need to sneak in, and then you need to pick the lock, and th those skills are not maybe on the same character. So th then you get the situation that either you have to have the, the lockpicker sneaking in. Yeah. Just assume for the sake of argument they're not the same person. Or you have to have um, the sneaky person being talked through it on the radio. Mm. And I, ba I, basically, you, you, you're you putting challenges up against people's weaknesses, and I think this is more interesting than putting challenges up against people's strengths. Let me take a step back, back for you. And one thing I wanted to ask was, are these settings going to be interesting without the big central superhero. Now, it strikes me that one thing you can do is play the heirs of, or the successors to, or what happens when the big guy is dead. Somebody shoots Doc Savage, mm. consummation devoutly to be wished, and you are the, no, the what do they call them, the Fabulous Five, trying to, to, to cover his territory. Mm. But is it is it really that much fun and that much difference without? I mean, without Sherlock Holmes, you've got Victorian London, which is all right 
in itself, but the, the universe... Is it the central character that makes it sparkly? Is the Hiberian Age interesting if you've not got Conan? I think if you... As long as you replicate at least some of the feeling... And the, it, it's key that you don't have the big guy there to bail you out. Mm. He's he's dead, he's away somewhere else, but he's off stage, even yeah. if he exists or existed. Because a lot of this sort of story is about being the best. Yeah, true. And... Uh, if if I were playing a game of the actual Doc Savage pulps, it would be very frustrating to be the second best chemist in the world. <laughs> I know that feeling. So, um, so I, th- I think the, the thing that I, I've heard done with um, Doctor Who games, yeah, where you've got a similar problem of one person with vastly more power than the others, mm. or at least vastly more knowledge, is have the big guy as an NPC. Yeah. Who who will do random things for random reasons, which actually replicates the TV series quite well, and and you yeah, you, have, you have to um, as the slightly more grounded in conventional reality people have to try to work around that. It's not a direct danger to you the way being shot at by a Dalek is, but it's still a hazard that you have to negotiate rather than oh this is just one of our team. The the other alternative is to go the route that the Buffy role playing game and indeed the Buffy series. And you make the the helpers as special in their way as the um, uh, as the central character. The Buffy role playing game manages it very nicely, and it does strike me that that the modern um, yeah gang of five uh, what uh, five man band the five man band. I'll, I'll link to TV tropes. Due warnings applied. Yeah, yes, yes. Flashing lights do not approach this unless you have several hours. To waste, um, the, uh, the 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 that sort of of thing is actually derived from um, Tolkien via RPGs because that's how that, that's actually a cultural phenomenon that that postdates. Yeah, with, with a side trip into anime, particularly of the nineteen eighties. Mm. Um, Why anime, particularly? Um, basically, because five, five was a convenient. Well, it's a very slightly symbolically significant number in in some parts of Japanese culture, but also it was a convenient number um, yeah. for character designs. Uh, if if you're working in colour, you can give them all different hair colours without anybody worrying about which one is which. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not quite a few of the standard roles yeah. um, will fall out of that. Yeah, I suspect. There may be something in psychology about the number of people you can keep in mind at a moment. I've got a vague memory of, of seeing research about the limits on on human memory, which five is a slightly magic number. The thing that um, John Rogers, who's cur- currently showrunner for the librarians and who was previously behind Leverage, yeah. was saying was it gives you lots of options for... You, you don't you don't get standard pairings up because you can't pair people up yeah. automatically. So it gives you an excuse to chop and change, and have the character who's very much this with the character who's very much not this this time, and then next time it will be with a, a different pairing, and and you don't get old as quickly. Yeah. Uh, uh, you you have multiple interactions; they can play off each other. In that case, I must bear that in mind. Uh, I don't know if I do this consciously or not. I must bear that in mind when I when I'm throwing people together as teams for um, uh, for my games, because yes, some some people do do fit together quite neatly, but I must I must explore some of the hmm, 
Thank you, Roger. You pointed something <laughs> out to me. Well, the, the thing I was thinking earlier, putting up a challenge against somebody's strength is essentially not an interesting challenge. I mean, who, who is stronger, Conan or that snake? Yeah. Has a simple answer. All right, yeah. Um, the snake may disagree. But, but, but with a split party, you can put the challenge up against somebody's weakness. Mm. They can say, OK, I cannot possibly fight this snake. How am I going to get past it? Then they start needing to be clever, and then it gets interesting. I, I think that may have been the core of, of Amber Diceless. Yeah. Whereas if you, if, if you just go head-to-head, -head, then the stronger one wins, no question. I, I, hang on, I thought the core of Amber Diceless was the strong one wins, no, no question, except when the GM decides to fudge it. I've only read it, I haven't played it. <laughs> yeah, I know nobody who has. <laughs> okay, so, I, well, I agree with you that throwing things that they aren't used to and don't think they can handle is the way is the way to go, as long as you don't get players who sulk and say, how was I supposed to do that? How was I supposed to... No. I think there does have to be a certain amount of trust between players and GM. I mean, that, that's true in general. Yeah. If, if you're doing anything more than a, than a essentially a board game with some slightly funny pieces, hmm. you you have to trust that the GM is, is going to fudge things in a way in the direction of most fun, as opposed to yeah. no, just we... screwing over PCs. Without a side, with a, a side light sprinkle of screwing over being in the background, it adds flavour. Well, yeah, it's it's the idea that you you can get screwed over, but it's not going to ruin your character permanently. Yeah, and you know, if if the player gets hacked off and stalks out, then he's never going to discover how that came out. Yeah, I will tend to agree. I think, on the other hand, there is a feeling for most players that they want to show their good side. Oh yeah. They want to know, or they want to demonstrate this is the, the thing that you're good at. And you don't want to, I have made this mistake myself in the past, you don't want to give a player something he's best at in the world and then never give him a chance to be awesome with it. Yeah, um, I think Robin Laws in Hamlet's Hit Points calls this reward beats or something like yeah. that. The, the idea that just sometimes, you know, at a frequency dependent on, on the dynamic of the group, you can say, okay, this is a lock. I do locks. Click. It's done. Well, or, here, here are ten bad guys. You guys stay back here, I'll handle them. Mm. Something like that. Just say, yes, I really am that good at this stuff. Yeah. And it's so much more satisfying when he slips on a banana peel and, uh, and has to call for help. <laughs> Going back to the single hero, have you ever played anything one-on-one? -on -one? I've had a couple of sessions one-on-one, -on -one, um, basically when I, I or somebody else was the only player who'd actually turned up. Hmm. Um, we thought we might, might as well get some game done. Um, sometimes it's been great fun. It, it tends to go a lot further off the centre line. How do you mean? Um, if you've got a group of fairly, fairly standard RPG players, they all yeah. like slightly different things. They're all going to pull towards slightly different directions, and as a GM1 keeps that fairly balanced... Yeah, on something they're all going to enjoy. Well, with one person, you can say, "What's their strong point? What's the stuff they want to yeah. do? What does this one player enjoy?" And let's just go off into that, which might be something that hmm. other players would get completely bored with. Yeah, um, um, I, I've made uh, the mistake uh, uh, of, of allowing that to happen in group sessions, and it is a it is a primary uh, error. A chatty player can have a, have a long chat with somebody and, and use their interpersonal skills to um, mm. get stuff out of them. 
a player who likes indefinite planning can indulge that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have arguments about that, but they're not really... They won't fit in the margin of this podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and so on. And it, I, I've at least once found, found a completely minor NPC caught a player's attention. Yeah. And the solo session came soon after that, and, and that, that minor NPC ended up getting substantially promoted because this player found him interesting. Mm. And so did the others, once, once, once he had been promoted. But you've never run a game in which which was designed to be one-on-one. I've never run one-on-one by design, the, no. no. It should be something that happens. In fact, it may be the default value for play-by-post games. The, the, the one time I tried to run a play-by-mail game, I had a mad idea that I might be able to make a living out of it. This is not actually possible. Flying Buffalo is still in business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how they... Well, they, they don't quite do what I was trying to do, which was uh, write enough material, uh, write a page of material for each each individual player character's move and send it back to them and say, what do you do now? Mm-hmm. With, uh, whereas they're generating more things from preset moves... Uh, lots of computer moderation. And lots of computer moderation, which I was trying to do fully hand-moderated. And this is not possible, let me tell you this. I Fair tried. I, well, I, I, I couldn't get the, the time to produce down to a, a point at which it would pay me a living wage. Certainly, I, I've found when I've been running play-by-email games, uh, I, I am certainly one of the problems in this, because sometimes I've, I've just been slow at responding and felt completely unenthused about it. But it, it's certainly the case that if, if you are waiting for all three or four or five players to get back to you, mm. um, that can take off some of the immediacy and I, I can't just write back, OK, you said this This is what happens, let's keep going. Yeah, the well, what I was, what I was trying to say was that in that form, it strikes me, and it, it was the way it ended up. I had a world that, in theory, the players would have... Uh, uh, would have been capable of interacting with each other, but mostly they were uh, soft noises in the background of other people's stories. And so I was writing individual tales Mm. for individual heroes set in the same world. And that might be a default thing, because basically you don't want to have to hang around for um, somebody on the other side of the planet to put in their their contribution and uh, um, to something that's happening together. Yeah. But that might be a form that would work for being the individual hero. But there, is, there is, is there a way to do it, do it so that you can play Conan, you can play James Bond, if that's what you want to be? I don't see why one couldn't. I mean, it's a different social dynamic from what we've come to accept as standard roleplay. Yeah. I think one would want to do it with somebody one knew fairly well and didn't feel embarrassed around for a start. What? Didn't easily feel embarrassed around. Hang on. You, 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 at least in my experience, you're going, to, you're going to get a lot more. This is what my character is thinking, mm. and soul bearing stuff, and so on. Yeah, I've never been desperately good on angst. Not, not that necessarily. Just <sighs> deep, deeper into the personality than one can sometimes get in, in a in a group session. Hmm. Is it possible to do the big goddamn hero in um in, in a group session? Is it possible to do, here's a horrifying thought, an entire table of big goddamn heroes? Well, that's pretty much your classic, um, where, where it all began, your, your D&D party, isn't it? I mean, they're all, oh. in theory, really good at what they do. Yeah. Um, I... when, when we talked to um, 
Uh, old geezer. Thank you. Um, he, he was suggesting that quite often in the, in the early days, people would take their own player character, yeah. go off on a solo, a, a solo in terms of players adventure yeah. with their character and, and all his henchmen and hangers on and so on. Yeah. Um, so, so clearly that is doable. Yeah. Um, I'm probably coming at this from too many years of playing RuneQuest in which you may be heroes, but you're not big goddamn. Well, RuneQuest has that thing that, to be honest, I rather like about role-playing games. No matter how tough you are, you can still get taken down Yeah. by people who are reasonably competent at what they're doing. Or just lucky. Yeah. Um, and that happens in Rollmaster, that happens in GURPS. It doesn't happen really in D&D. Poison, no. I suppose, would be the only exception. But Yeah. Uh, there are. Well, it was D&D that introduced the drop-dead totally spell. <laughs> All right. I'm not... I'm not sure where, where we, we where we've gone with this, or if we've offered any helpful hints. There is one thing that that, that occurs to me. A note that I've got here: Is it going to be as much fun playing SG19 as it is playing SG1? I can actually answer this because for a while I was running a Stargate play by email game. Yeah. Um, and I think it can be. Uh, the thing is just to go in completely different directions. Hmm. Uh. One of the things I like about that that TV show is it's clear that there's other stuff going on. I mean, yes, SG1 may be, may be the team that gets sense to deal with this particular sort of alien threat that happens a lot. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the other teams can't be off having adventures that may, may in fact be just as universe-shaking. Yeah. They just don't happen to get shown on TV. Well, that's a it, it It's enough of a big universe. Yeah. And I, I, I had one team... Um, Digging round a um, North Welsh seaside town and find, finding an extremely dubious alien spaceship under there, and uh, well, it it didn't blow up, so that was good. Yeah. Well, I must admit that I am currently playing a game in which the uh, of the laundry in which the player characters are designated response team Gamma, being the last response team that they send out, um, because all the others are way busy and doing more important things. That's mm -hmm. fun too. Well, when a friend of mine started a laundry game before the official RPG was published, his initial approach was, "Okay, here is a published Call of Cthulhu adventure. Mm. Let us imagine a typical group of Call of Cthulhu PCs in here messing up. What is the situation going to be at that point? Now we send in the laundry." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't done that one. Yes, the the, the the brave oh the brave amateur investigators who have no Oh, oh, that's nice. Write it down, Michael. Write it down. <laughs> Onward. Onward. I was talking uh, a moment ago uh, about my laundry campaign, and it is currently winding towards an end, and so is my other campaign, my uh, uh, GURPS Bainstorm game, at about the same time, coincidentally. And in order to start my next games, I have to bring these to a conclusion, and that's one of the things I would like to discuss at this point. What is the art of bringing things, tying it all together, and bringing things to a successful conclusion, which will be satisfying to me as the GM, satisfying to 
at least the majority, one hopes, of my players, and give them a feeling of having achieved something by coming to the end of the sequence. Now, the Laundry game is patched together out of um, published adventures and some stuff that, that I've written myself. And so I'm not quite as vain about it, but I, I do want it to come to a slam-bang climax. Uh, the Earth game, uh, but the Bainstorm game, is mostly, almost entirely my own, own creation. Um, I'm a little vain. I want to tie in all the bits. So what are the criteria you should be looking at when you get to the end? The thing that struck, I, I, I should say, I, ha I haven't got a great track, track record in this, mm. but uh, one of the reasons for that is I think you have to make a decision. Are you ever going to come back to this game? Because oh, if you can unambiguously... Because if you can unambiguously say no, that mm. opens up some possibilities. And, okay... Um, Apocalypse, for one thing. Let, let's say... Um, Ways to end a campaign in general. Oh. Um, you, you can do it accidentally. <laughs> Somebody has something else they want to run, the players drift away, the GM gets bored. I can confidently say that's I actually I've done that. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's not something one aims for, but... Actually, tell a lie. I have closed down campaigns. If, if, if you're well, modelling... in the early days. If you're modelling it on in the style of an ongoing series, mm. you know, as, as with Doc Savage again... It's you don't necessarily need a big ending because stories like that don't have big endings. They they have you know we've we've finished this adventure. The hero is still out there vanquishing evil, but yeah, yeah we're, we're now going on to do something else, and that, that that's okay. It's, it's we not do not get renewed. It's not directly satisfying, but yeah, it's, it's okay. Um, a post facto write up is is another possibility, which is a bit bit edgy for me. It's basically the, the GM is saying right. That is that is the end point. This is what happened next. Which, which I, hang on, let, let me interrupt there. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to bring it to an end and say, and the players tell you what happens next. Yeah, and I, I think the thing one aims for is some sort of call it a big incident, mm -hmm. a, a, a climax to the series. Yeah. Um, especially good, I think, if it's not just a bigger than usual fight. But something that effectively ends the campaign, meaning that there will be no more of this. Give give examples. Okay, um, one game that a, a friend of mine was running for some years because it was happening o o mostly at conventions to start with. Yeah. Um, yeah, twice a year sessions at most. Uh, there, there was a covert alien invasion in on of near future Earth. Yeah. And in what was sort of planned to be the final adventure, maybe. Uh, the invasion, alien invasion headquarters was destroyed yeah. at the cost of launching a global thermonuclear war. Yeah, cost-benefit analysis says this was a bad idea. So, uh, what, whatever happened after that, it was not going to be a covert alien invasion game. Yeah. It could be post-apocalyptic survival. But the players were, mm. were not particularly enthused by that. As a concept, um, it's, it's so just, so it, we we, yeah. we took that and that that is right that that is the end. Was this a was this a, 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 a them being driven over by the GM's fiat or was it something they did? I think the GM was quite surprised that we actually took that decision. We were inside the alien headquarters at the time. Uh huh. <laughs> 
Well, that, uh, that was good. That'll bring, yeah, all right, that'll, that'll bring me on to the... So, the, so yeah, the they, 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 they weren't yeah. any continuing PCs either. Right, quite. <laughs> um, I'm not quite... I'm not certain that I want to go that far, but I do want to give there... want there to be, in, in both cases, the opportunity for player character death um, in, in both campaigns. I feel that there should be a big climactic fight, and this is damned easy to do in the laundry. <laughs> Even if you're not going to trigger a case nightmare green, there's always something too hard for the players to face entirely out there, and things that they could face down and sacrifice themselves um, nobly too. But I don't think I've got yeah. an entire table of noble sacrifices. To be I honest. think, narratively speaking, um, in spite of what Call of Cthulhu is really all about, I think I think that it, particularly in a campaign ender, you you do want that sacrifice to have some meaning. Yes, which I Cthulhu know. normally doesn't really. <laughs> but the laundry is about um, is about holding the line, and if you even hold the and Cthulhu is for that matter. And if you even manage to hold the line for days, weeks, months, years, yeah, then that—that's what they pay you the big bucks for. Except they don't in the laundry. <laughs> that's what they give you a paperclip allowance for. Yeah, the the I the the problem is the 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 advice of of narrativist modern um, role playing games is only do this if the players are cool with it. I, on the other hand, being an old-fashioned sort, want there to be a certain amount of random luck in whether they survive or not. But I do want them to have the. Cho I do want there to be a choice at some point for somebody to have to say, "You go on without me. I'll, I'll, I'll hold the line," or, or the equivalent. Yeah, it's it's hard to orchestrate that, hmm. and it can but feel it very matter. it can feel very forced if one does, and I think that's worth avoiding. Yeah. But, and also one of the things I'm worrying about, as I may have set myself up for it a bit, at least in the Bainstorm game, is letting, making the end, end part be entirely about them watching the awesome NPCs I have invented. Yeah. I have a couple of awesome NPCs, um, at least one of whom may be willing to become a martyr. Possibly both of them. Um, well, we're, we're a bit back to single protagonist stories there, aren't we? I mean, yeah. Uh, as as was as happened traditionally in um, the published Torb and Cyberpunk adventures, it, it, that that can happen in the game. And yeah, we know the players are going to hate this, so let's not do it. Yeah. So yeah, maybe they're doing terribly important things, but at, at the very least, not where the PCs can see them. Mm. On the other hand, being there, I don't know. If you prevent somebody from marching themselves for their cause, are you doing them a favour? <laughs> one of the issues that is going through my mind at this moment. Well, what 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 you don't want is bystanders. And Quite yes. In, in the real world, you can say, "I was there when, insert name of famous athlete, set the world record." Yeah, it's, and it, that that's something you you saw and it was exciting. That is not something a a, a player character wants to say. Your player character wants to say, "I trained the, the, the famous athlete. I was the most famous yeah. athlete. Well, at the very least, I was the I was I was." The running mate of the most famous athlete the day he made. But it's it's about participation. Yeah. So I. So I'm I'm, I'm very wary of. Um, yeah. Big NPCs for that reason. But on the other hand, I I don't want the big NPCs that I've set up 
to be entirely um, to be entirely pointless and never to to achieve the things I've been hinting about all yeah, the way but, through but, the but game. Can you have them doing it somewhere else? I can and I possibly will, but I I'm going for a two pronged approach. There will be two simultaneous climaxes with two different groups of player characters because I've set up the campaign that way. Yeah, but. Um, and in the in the laundry game, not so much because they are they have become, by sheer dint of surviving, the big players and the and the people that get turned turned to in an emergency. And but, there's always an emergency up one sleeve. Yeah. The other what other other factors? I don't. I think I think I never consciously planned a campaign. I don't think I've planned a campaign to end totally. My players will probably tell me I have. Um, I've got one that is ongoing at the moment that that has been has been designed with an end, yeah. which is my magical World War Two game. We've we've mentioned here from time this to time. It's magical in the sense of having magic in it. Not that it's wonderful, though it is wonderful. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I I said up front to the players, basically mm. this 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 game ends at the end of the war. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen on VJ Day because various things have gone in various directions and VJ Day may happen in a different form. Yeah. But essentially, this is a game about the war. When it when the war is over, it is over. Yeah. And with that in mind, what what I I was thinking about ha- having a session, may, maybe as a separate game session, may, maybe as um just the the end of the final session, where. The, the the PCs are meeting up some years later, yeah, yeah, five, five ten years later, um, and reminiscing, and that that could go various ways. I mean, if if it's just the PCs talking in character, then that might be not terribly exciting. Um, hmm. As an opportunity for me for me to explain what was really going on, which I'm, I know the I know the players want me to do, hmm. <laughs> that 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 could be a factor. Yeah, I have um, to say, or, or or it could just be here is one last adventure which shows us how the world has changed since the good. end of the war. I would say, depend, yeah, it does depend on timing. I I think I've talked before about a uh, freeform uh, game I was in, in which instead of the traditional winding up, in which the players said or t- tell us all about all the awesome things that they did. It was entirely absorbed by the GM telling us all the awesome things that he had written into the plot, which made us hate him very, very deeply. Mm. Um, I would say the ideal... If, it depends on timing. If you complete at the end of a session, if it comes to the end of a session, then I would say you write the next session as X years later and give them something to do. And it should be something that will reveal what you've what you had in the background by by some means or other yeah this is not something i can really prepare for very much on a, a we're about two years off from the historical end of the war anyway mm-hmm. um but there are lots of things that are still up in the air and dependent on the actions of pcs yeah so as it should be yeah yeah so so i can't really say in advance exactly how things are going to get resolved I, I i have an optimum outcome in mind the players may go along with that they may not yeah, what I'm going to, planning to do with uh, the Bainstorm game, if not with the Laundry game, because the Laundry game is so much more dependent upon whether they make that particular shot, whether they survive that particular hazard 
and it's going to be it's going to be quite wild and luck dependent. Mm. And anyway, the case Nightmare Green is coming, whether they like it or not. That does seem to me the, the kind of built-in end for a laundry campaign. And, yeah. Uh, and I know you said you felt it would bring it on a bit early. But it, it, it has changed as the books have gone on exactly what it is. So. Yeah, it's... Um, I, I, I don't actually have to bring it on. I just have to have it lurking in the background. But the, the it, thing it, I was it, going to yeah. say was, the, for Bainstorm, what I'm going to try and do is sketch out in my own head various ways it can end if they do this, if that is resolved, if the other, and then let them surprise me. What I really mm. want is then to come up with something that will be other, uh, the six uh, end state other than the five end states that I planned for. Yep. Or at least a variant, a major variant on one of the five. This is what players generally do, in my experience, especially yeah. if I was relying on some of the others. Yeah, and and to be honest, I improvise a lot. I bring up up new characters, new background stuff that I hadn't thought was necessary until somebody asked me about it right up to the end. So everything may that that they they get captured, they're offered they're offered to, as a sacrifice to the to the orcs, dark god, and um and. Then they then they uh, befriend the uh, befriend the the, uh, the the other prisoner and that other prisoner turns out to uh, you know the sort of thing that happens last minute when you can't plan for it. <laughs> My wife will tell you that I go through a standard cycle preparing for the World War Two games of thinking oh, what what the hell am I going to do and then I've got far too little stuff and then afterwards oh, well, that went okay actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recognise that syndrome. <laughs> It works for the podcast as well. All right. Anything else I should be aware of? I think the temptation to go out with a bang is is a hard one to resist, and I think it shouldn't always be resisted. Mm. Would be would be my summary of. This. Yeah, the the the, the brainstorm game has always been wandering all over the place, but it has raised several issues which I really should bring to some sort sort of ending. I'm sort of tempted to tell them at the end of it, right. That's not the end of the, this this game, but it is the end of this generation. Yeah. If I come back to this world, and it was ten years between the first and second uh, instalments, so and I may not be around or capable of picking up any dice in ten years. Um, if we come back to it, I will say we will we will be playing the children and grandchildren of these people after things have shaken out a bit. Yeah, and I, I've run uh, Crimson Skies, which is alternate history 1930s, mm. with weird aircraft. And at least if I run it again with that group, I'm not going to be running straight Crimson Skies again. I'll be projecting it 20 years into the future. Because they, they, they kind of did the things that were there to be done. It's quite fun, but it's it's not a complete world of all sorts of possibilities. And they, they kind of exhausted the stuff that was fun yeah. to do. So get, you know, move it 20 years on, have completely different sorts of weird aircraft, and different geopolitics and so on. Actually, I'm just reflecting, I'm 60, and there are only so many campaigns that I can expect to run. I take a year or more over each one, playing it weekly. There are only so many. I should do something new. I need to do something new real soon and now. My players will not be happy about this. The World War II game has turned out to be, I think, probably the best campaign I've run, at least so far. Hmm. 
And that happened purely because Steve Jackson games were selling off the World War II GURPS books cheaply, because 4th edition had come out and they were started for 3rd edition. Yeah. And so I bought them and thought, well, you know, maybe I ought to do something with these. Random inspiration works best. Ask any professional author, which we sometimes aren't, mostly aren't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving along a little. It hasn't got quite as bad as Hollywood, where every other film appears to be a remake. But recently there has been a spate of people picking up uh, role-playing games from back in the day and bringing out new editions of them, often kick-started. Uh, Paranoia is being done. Mm -hmm. um, Robin Laws is working on Feng Shui. And a lot of Chill is out, I Chill. believe, or coming out. Dark Conspiracy, they're working, they've got one book out and they're working on more. More than I had thought of. And it strikes me that uh, we might do a brief discussion. Neither of us have ever produced our own role-playing games, so we occasionally pull out stuff for other people's. Mm. And uh, But if, if Catholic priests can give advice on married love, then I think we can probably manage to come up with uh, observations and advice on how to uh, how to do this. Now, I think we should probably distinguish between uh, those games which are in the state of what I'd call continual development and continual use, and those which have um, faded away into the background and are being brought, brought out of the cupboard and, uh, and dusted out and given a, a fresh look at. GURPS and Hero and um, Call of Cthulhu, for instance, are, were on a continuous use and will be in continuous development. There are plenty of people willing to... Uh, stick out in a, a new module if there is never a fifth edition of, of GURPS, and there may never be because of publication and economic reasons, there'll still be people fiddling with it and, and, and adding stuff to it. And yeah, that said, the latest Call of Cthulhu does change quite a lot of, of core mechanics. Okay, is, does that make a difference? All right, we, we are, I'm older than he is. Um, but, he, but he's fairly grognardy, even at his young age. <laughs> and we do look back to um, a, a golden age, we, made golden by our memories of our youth, um, of role-playing games, and back to the things, the way things were. I'm asking, first of all, how much is it safe to change rules? And how much is it the right thing to do? How much should you pay attention to the grognard factor? I think this depends to some extent on the sort of audience you have. Um, you, you can see a similar thing, or you could see a similar thing a few years ago, when um, emulation of older computers became available. Yeah. Lots, the ZX Spectrum in particular, that being huge in the UK in, in the 1980s. Uh, I too have wasted many hours of my life on Elite. I played proper Elite on the BBC Micro. Good. Anyway, um, it It became possible to uh, play old Spectrum games for either very little money or no money at all, yeah. depending on how demanding and legalistic you were. And I think an awful lot of the appeal of that, of that was nostalgia, because I, not having had a Spectrum back in the day, tried a couple of these things and thought, well, it's okay, but it doesn't really have anything to, to say to me now. Um, whereas people who had 
played many of the same games as me in, in, at, at the time, were very happy to go back to the stuff they'd played before. So the nostalgia factor is there. On the other hand, uh, consider some of the things we've looked at um, for, the, for this podcast. Yeah. Um, some of those old games really aren't terribly good by standards yes. of today. Uh, I, I don't mean the, the ideas, because the ideas are often really quite, quite wonderful. Hmm. I mean things like the mechanics, um, where you say, hang on a minute, we don't have a general skill resolution. So what happens if I want to climb a wall? Yeah, all right. What happens if I want to do something other than shoot people? Hmm. But you get to the point. I think there is a there is a, a divide where a point where you get you get to where you're you're reviving. You're changing the nature of the game. My feeling about the last rewrite of Paranoia, the the one you liked so much, having looked at the Mongoose XP one, the Mongoose XP one, yeah. Was it basically said, let's throw all the rules away and let's make it happen on GM Fiat all the time? That's interesting. Just that, not, that wasn't the impression I got of it. But all right. Just let, I, let I, us, I haven't run it. Let us go purely narrative and let us, not, um, and let us not tell the players that we are doing so. That's interesting. I, I, I admit I've only played it. It was with a good GM, so it may mm. well have been that he, he was being consistent enough that I didn't notice. Okay. And I think that if you take away all the game mechanical structure, it will destroy the the experience of persons who played it before. There, there comes to a point at which simplification makes makes the playing experience so different that you're not going to get any of the older players feeling this is their game. Mm. And on the other that, hand, that's certainly the impression I've had about the um, latest Paranoia iteration. Mm. All this stuff about equipment cards and so on—it's it, looking much like a, much more like a sort of lightweight, Arkham Horror-y, role-playing role flavored board game or board game flavored role-playing game, it, rather than. Well, it feels. It, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not. I've, all I've sat done is sat in on a presentation by James Wallace at the at, uh, at Dragon Meat. And it felt to me that had more mechanics, admittedly of an odd kind, um, than the that, than what I found in in XP. Maybe I'm confused. I am old, after all, as I have earlier mentioned. But that that struck me as going back more to the the gamery side of gaming than uh, mm. than. On the other hand. Um, is that, that that odd sort of board game role playing space where you get things like a lot of the indie games where they're very keen on on having tokens and spending tokens to do things. Yeah. Or coming from the other side, the Arkham Horror, which is okay as a board game, but it's much more fun if you role play it. Yeah. On the other hand, you can make the same. There's been recently been a new uh, Techimel based game. Now Techimel has not been lucky. Let us put it that way. <laughs> see previous episodes. See previous episodes. Um and. This struck me as being a Grognard's attempt to read Grognard's stuff. What it, it it has all chunky. It felt all chunk, all old, all chunky, and a lot of stuff adapted from previous game um, realizations of the world, which Professor Barker said were not exactly the same as what he was depicting in his novels or in his own in his own head. 
but preserving preserving a lot of game mechanical effects rather than um giving a free flowing ability to run the run the uh, run the universe what i'm i would love is uh it for for techimel is something that's as simple in concept and um easy to easy to run as as hero quest would be if i really liked hero quest or fate would be if i could get my head around it perhaps something along the lines of um trailer cthulhu gumshoe system i don't know i've never well the, the trailer cthulhu it's not really an inv investigative uh, world. It's a world. Okay. It's a pulpy world. That, I mean, there are investigative bits in it. You can throw in investigative scenarios anywhere. But it, I've ne I've never felt that Trailer Cthulhu, that Gumshoe services other things as well as it services investigation. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. That that is what it's primarily designed to do. And um, and there's a strong um pulp fantasy, pulp fantasy feel. Uh, to uh, to Techimel. It's what it's where, where Professor Barker uh, started out his fantasy interests, and um, I, I I'd like that to be able to be realised. But um, I don't think I've quite found the system that maybe Silhouette could do something like this, but I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and have another look at Silhouette and and Rocket Age and things like that. I think one of the difficulties is. How much external reference do you have available? And I, I can't think of any game that, that has been strictly realistic, as in just only dealing with things that have happened in the real world. There, there's probably be something historical, but yeah. it, let, let's just say, yeah, all right, gangbusters. Okay, I was just talking about this last no, no, night. There were, there were, they have been historical games, but they've never been big. Let's say, yeah. Um, so there's going to be some stuff where you, where the 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 writer has had, had to make it up. Not perhaps less so in something like um, a, a game adapted from uh, externally published fiction, like like the Ringworld RPG, where yeah. it was basically taken from the books and Larry's notes on the books. Yeah, and I did like a good job of it. But the thing is, if you've got that external reference, then then you've got some kind of point that you can circle around and approach arbitrarily close to. Uh, in a, in a game of spies, you've got the idea that okay, this guy is, the, this sort of guy is really good with a pistol, and you you have some realistic idea of what somebody who's really good with a pistol can do. It may be yeah. a cinematic idea, but you can be consistent about it. If you don't have that, then you know what's a level seventeen fighter? Yeah, you, you don't have a feel for. Yeah, you, know, you you can recreate that game mechanical effect, but shoot, is that necessarily what you want to do? And th th then you get into things like the old school revival, where you've got people explicitly taking old style rules. Yeah, that 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 strikes me as I say, being being of the grognards for the grognards, and not much interest in anybody else. I think a lot of that is dep does depend on one's attitude to it. I mean, I I gladly abandoned D and D when I found other systems because mm, I liked too, the way yeah. other systems did things. I'm, I'm not saying anything about. I, I, ne neutral viewpoint here. I'm not claiming a neutral viewpoint. For me, that that was the thing that was true. And you, you've said similarly. You, yeah. you happily leapt into RuneQuest. Mm. So I, I don't feel any any more urge to go back and play a clone of first edition D and D yeah. than I do to play current fifth edition D and D. I've, I've done the basic dungeon bash with relatively simple mechanics that are focused on fighting fighting monsters mm. and taking their stuff. I don't really want to play that sort of game anymore. What I 
what I think I want when you when somebody is, is creating a new treatment of an old system, an old world, is I want the I want a sufficiency of of game mechanical support of stuff that isn't narrative based, but is in the moment giving the players a chance to game out and to be there and making a di and them their decisions and their luck making a difference. But I also want the nice, juicy new stuff about that allows to, allows us to give the characters some personality, some motivation, some interaction. And I want a system, ideally not just for revivals, but for for everything, that gives me gives me both. I'm not sure it exists yet because there's a pressure towards where the narrative is, which is uh, school, which is saying. We're really trying to create stories, and I've said before, I'm not sure story, story is an effect, and it's a nice thing to have, but I'm not sure it's the primary thing in a role-playing game. It, it's we're one going of back the on things. that old scene. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of the things. It's not and, the I, I, thing. and I want that thing to be there, I just don't want it to totally dominate the creation of the moment. Yeah, and... A thing, a thing that I very much like, I mean, I, I first met it in systems like GURPS, yeah. is the idea that you have things that define your character that are not just about how good you are at adventurous stuff. Mm. They are about you, you're greedy or you're fond of a drink or yeah. you're particularly smooth with the ladies or whatever. Um, okay, in some games that's going to be especially relevant, but... Advant little advantages and disadvantages that don't make a huge difference to the way you play the character necessarily, but which give them individuality and personality. Yeah, well, the individual and personal individuality and personality is the way you play the character. The, the the other stuff is the way you play your stats. Yeah, it does depend on the sort of game. I mean, I, I prefer the sort of game in which that sort of thing does become important because the characters aren't constantly in peril of their lives. Yeah. They, they, they have time to socialise and do other things. And make fools of themselves. I, but yeah, hang on, we're drifting, well, we're drifting off the point which we start, started well, from, back towards old, old topics. The, the thing is, if, if you're redoing an old system, and a, yeah. a lot of these systems are from, call, call it the big flowering of the early 80s. D&D yeah. you know, got out into the public consciousness in a big way. Lots of people wrote their own systems. Yeah. A lot of the ones we've looked back at are from that sort of era. But most of them, let's be charitable, are pretty clearly influenced by D&D. An awful lot mm. of them have class and level. Um, I never understood why that continued. Oh, well. I, because I, it was the way role-playing games did things. Yeah. Um, but I, I at least do not see any virtue in preserving that. Yeah. Let, let, let's say for the sake of argument I, I were going to pitch a new edition of Gangbusters. Okay. Which is a 1920s realistic... Okay, go on. Chicago gangs. I would quite happily throw out all the mechanics because I, I played it very briefly, I think, at a convention. Yeah. It wasn't the mechanics that were fun. What was fun was the exploring the historical setting mm. and you know, different, different attitudes to it. You've, you've got um, your feds thinking, this is all terribly glamorous and, I, and I'm a hero who can go home at the end of the day. And then you've got your beat cop, oh, hang on, I've got to live with these guys. And they know where I live. And I'm not saying that was that was a core part of the game. It, it may have been just this one GM. But that's the sort of thing that I that I find interesting about it. Not a running gun battle along the waterfront, though obviously you have to have the possibility of that. 
Yeah. Uh, if you just want a running gun battle, we've got war games for that. Yeah, the, so you're playing you're playing the investigators, or you're playing the criminals, or you're playing well the... as the, as the game was written, you could even have a mixed party. Yeah, <laughs> I, but, that that works. No, but but there were five classes of good guys and one class that was just called criminals. So okay. Well, I will agree. Actually, the sort of thing that that is about, you could write a very good um, gumshoe treatment of that. You could write. It's about investigating where the bad guys or the bad guys are up to and infiltrating, and but it's also about politics. It's somewhere on the borderline, Robin. If you're listening, this is somewhere on the borderline between um, gumshoe and drama system, mm. and it would it would require um, constant. In fact, I'm perfectly sure I've seen um, drama system pictures about uh, about gangsters and, yeah. and things in the in the 1920s and 30s. And there was certainly a prime time adventure. Yes, I remember basis. that one. Yeah, but there. But again, I don't want primetime adventure and drama system take it over to a point at which you lose you lose rooting in the fact that these are human beings with with limited capabilities. It all becomes about the the narrative and the moment, and it's and and the what what does Robin call it the the procedural bits are become terribly wiffly waffly. And I, I, I don't want the procedural bits to be heavy in a game in which people aren't going to be becoming more and more knowledgeable, more and more awesome, more and more powerful. Um, when that, where there are limits on advancement, then those things aren't that important because, uh, in 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 something like Techimel, in contrast, you you want to become a more powerful warrior, you want to become a more powerful sorcerer. Mm-hmm. You want you want to build your character. And you want the support for that to be there, but in something like that, you want it there. But you want it minimal, and you want it fair. Um, because slipping to a slightly different topic, there's revising background for revived mm. games. Um, James Wallace was talking about bringing all sorts of things into uh, because paranoia is a is a satire. And satire has to be to the point and to and of the time. Yeah. Uh, and the time now isn't. He's got some nice ideas about um, about the application of virtual role playing to a virtual reality to a universe which cannot admit that sex exists. Mm. So nobody in his new paranoia universe, I don't think this is a spoiler, has ever seen their own or anybody else's genitals. <laughs> but leave this aside. Uh, what should what should be your considerations? How much should you change, given that the world has changed? There's a case sometimes for leaving it as it is and saying this is a parallel universe. Yeah. Um, again, it depends on whom you're trying to appeal to. Um, if you're try- if you're saying to people, you played this that twenty thirty years ago, and and now we're bringing it back. Yeah. I think you, if you want them to support it, if you want them, to, well. If you want them to do more than just giving you giving you the money, and you want them actually to enjoy the game, which let's be charitable and assume you do, <laughs> you you do have to give them the thing that they enjoyed first time round. Hmm. So you need to find out what that was. Yeah. And if if I want to play paranoia, is it because I want to play nineteen eighties satire with commies, hmm. or two thousand satire with surveillance state? And they're they're both in there. They're both supported by various bits of the game. 
that's true. There's, I think the fun, the fun part of paranoia was always the sensation of being trapped in an impossible situation and doing your best to get, to at least get your character to survive and to do it um, amusingly. They're, they're, a bit like Call of Cthulhu, really. You, you, you know you're doomed, but you want to do something before you do. Yeah, well, no, of course, Cthulhu, you know, the world is doomed, but um, but you want to make a difference nonetheless, I think. And it doesn't really matter if you die. But it's a similar approach. It's an anti-power fantasy. Yeah, it is, it is, it is the, you're right, it's the fantasy of being the underdog and surviving nonetheless. You know what happens if that one squeaky wheel doesn't move? It gets chucked out and replaced with another wheel. <laughs> All right. Um, I, we, we've talk, we talked before about Metaplot, and yeah. it's a, an, an ongoing thing. Yeah. But the, the, this is something something of a distinction because it's bringing it back after a while. And I, I agree that a paranoia that was just paranoia 1980s fro frozen in time, yeah, would not be particularly interesting because you know, we either we were there and we've done that, mm. or we weren't there and we have no idea what the jokes are about. Why? Um, so for that one has to change it. Uh, on the other hand, if somebody were to bring out a new version of The Price of Freedom, it would kind of have to be it would, in its it? original setting, because that was what it was about. Yeah. You, 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 that, uh, you, you, it, would, you wouldn't make that about... You, I don't think you could. Uh, I suppose you could. To try to do it in the style of the recent, um, the recent remake of Red Dawn, where... It was originally going to be an invasion by China, and then they realised, hang on, we want to sell this film in China, let's make it an invasion by North Korea. Um, and digitally alter some of the, some of the logos. <laughs> but I think, I think the comprehensive failure of that film shows, among other things, that there isn't really a market for telling the same old story with a different antagonist. I will say If you're I'll... going to tell the story at all, give it the same antagonist. I, I, I will say that I... Um... Oh God! This is probably a dangerous thing to say to release onto the internet. I'm really pleased that the 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 United States entertainment industry has not yet come out with an invasion by Muslims uh, movie. There are books about oh well, there are books about how the rest of the world collapses into a caliphate, and the United States remains one pure uh, beacon of light of God. But um, I'm guessing none of them has sold well enough to sell the film rights yet. Your cynicism exceeds mine, Roger. <laughs> I, I, I'd like, like to think that there is actually some sort of, you know, movement towards good taste over a long enough period of time. Good taste never sold soap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but nobody goes around, never mind. Um, <laughs> never mind. The, yeah, there are things which we can't r revive. And we do. I do plead with our listeners not to start a Kickstarter for reviving Price of Freedom, please. <laughs> but if you do, I get 10%. Yeah, it is hard to know. I'm looking over across your, your shelf. Is there stuff you wanted, you actually want to see revived? Um. Or do you want to do something new? I'm, I, I, having just become a conscious, more conscious of my old age, I want to do something new. Well, I'm, I have recently do, done a certain, certain amount of this. I, mean, I, I ran a Reign of Steel game yeah. uh, for GURPS, and that, that came out, I think, late 1990s, yeah. originally. Um, I, I've been, I be, have been and still am running TORG, mm. um, under GURPS, but fairly, fairly straight as far as the world goes. Would you... Would you uh... I, I, I don't feel any need for a new edition of TORG. Yeah. 
because I've got the old stuff. I'm not using the system anyway. The system is broken. Um, you could write a new system, but I have GURPS. Um, yeah. Or for the next guy along who doesn't like GURPS, he could say you could write a new system, but he has Fate. Yeah. Or whatever else. I mean, Fate would probably do it quite well. I I think, particularly now that we have people who don't generally insist on knowing exact details about you know this calibre of gun is, is more important than that calibre of gun or whatever. And we have fewer of them, yeah. I think a lot of players are happy just to bodge it and say, right, this guy has a big high-tech gun, and that's all the description you need. Mm. If you are hit with it, it hurts a lot. Yeah. Um, so you don't need all the intricate stuff that Torg did, if you're happy with that sort of game. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more towards the detail end, I think, than many people these days. Mm. But GURPS gives me that. And there are enough generic systems that, to be honest, I... It may just be that I take a bit more time over preparing things, and I, d I don't mind hacking things about a bit and saying, OK, this guy's got these talk stats, so he's got those GURP stats. It, it, it takes me 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah. It's not, not a huge preparation burden. Um, some people say, I want to have everything ready, ready to run. Fair enough. There is a market for pre-written adventures. To me, I'm, I I'm, suppose I'm used to looking at an adventure reading the stats, translating them into some sort of descriptive system. Hmm. This guy's a dangerous fight because he's very tough. This guy's very agile. Whatever. And then translating that back out into the system I'm using. So, personally, I would be quite happy to see a revival of, let us say, Gangbusters again, just as an example. Hmm. As far as I know, nobody's thinking of reviving. Um, I would be quite happy to see that done entirely statless. Yeah. And just say, okay, you've got a generic system. You can do this. If if you're doing it with fates, it's like this. If you're doing it with GURPS, well, go buy GURPS high tech. All the guns are in there, and mm. so on. Which is not what anybody's doing. Yeah. So this may, may just be another case of my being completely out of tune with the market. But when when I use an old game, that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, and giving it a new set of mechanics, unless there are really awesome set of mechanics. I've, I've said before that the only set of mechanics that I will not automatically replace with GURPS is Pendragon. Because Pendragon is absolutely finely tuned to the sort of thing that happens in Pendragon. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying there couldn't be other other systems like that out there. All right. I think we've walked a, 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 waffled around the houses enough on, the, <laughs> on this particular topic. If you have a game system you would like to suggest for resuscitation, resurrection... Or a setting, or both. Or both, then please let us know. And now, I think we do a wrap-up. This has been Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Keel. And me, Roger Bell West. As I was saying, please send uh, suggestions of game systems to be revived revived, um, suggestions about how to end the game, or possibly the world. Um, and how, then how to split up your single protagonist, not just using a chainsaw. Well, personally, I, I suspect a diamond cutter would work better with Doc Savage. Mm. And uh, anything else you want us to talk about, um, you can either comment on the website or send us an email at podcast at techeli.ly We look forward to pontificating at you again next month. <laughs>